All right, this uh, morning we're going to look at the, why, the what, why, and how of life groups, and then we're going to dig into Romans 16 and look, about, look at how to cultivate a culture of close friendships. You may have heard that we, we're changing the name of house groups to life groups. That uh, just seemed right. We're life church, so we have life groups. Um, also, I've just felt that life groups better expresses what they are or what we're aiming for them to be. Not primarily meetings of groups of people in houses, but a group of four to 12 friends who are together on mission, loving one another as they do life together, gathering throughout the week to eat, pray for one another, share life, uh, learn together what it means to follow Jesus, encourage each other in that, and uh, encourage each other in our witness, uh, led by more than one person who takes responsibility for the group. That's the, the what they are. Um, why do we have life groups? What's the aim? Well, it's quite, um, it's really, I mean, part of it is that we see this in Scripture, don't we? In the early church, when it starts meeting together, it gathers in large groups in the temple, and it also gathers in people's homes. And so we're kind of following that pattern that we see in Scripture, the both and. We gather together every Sunday all together as a wider family, but then we're meeting throughout the week in one another's homes um, Sunday gatherings can be quite large, it can be difficult to get to know people, but in our life groups, we can, it makes space for being able to uh, be a smaller place for us to grow close friendships. And the aim really is no different to our aim as a church, it's just kind of church on the mini, if you like, and our aim as a church is to make disciples of Jesus. That's what we're about, isn't it? That's the thing that Jesus has primarily called each of us to do, isn't it? To make disciples, go and make disciples, that's his command to each of us. Um, who live life together in church, family, and friendship. And that's what I'm going to focus on a bit in a moment. To learn to be like Jesus and live like Jesus. We're growing, aren't we? We recognize that Jesus interrupts our life at a particular moment and then he leads us uh, to a better place in terms of our character and the kind of life we live. And to love God with worship and service and love Beckles and beyond with words, works, and wonders in our witness. That's the aim of our life groups. And our purpose really is for them to, to, to grow and to multiply. So um, recently, um, Rod and Heather's and Emma and Chris's um, group multiplied into two groups. We like to say multiply because it's, it's a more positive word than divide, isn't it? And it focuses on the benefit and the good of it rather than on the negative. Um, they recently uh, multiplied and became two groups. And uh, Rod and Heather and Chris and Emma have carried on leading one. Julian and Rachel and Bruce and Elaine have started uh, leading another. And the reason we do that is it makes space for others. If you have a limited number of uh, life groups, if they stay the same the whole time and new folk become part of us, want to make home, it's very difficult for them to make friendships if we don't make space for them. So multiplication is a great way of doing that. It helps the church to grow. If the life groups are multiplying and growing, then the church is growing. It makes space for friendships to deepen. You might have been in one of those uh, groups where things get a bit too large, and there's kind of 12 plus of you, and you feel like you don't really have particularly strong relationships across the group. It can make it harder to share. It can make it harder for people to have a moment where they can contribute, and so it helps to deepen friendships. It enables, you as well, people not to shrink back. If you're in a large group like on a Sunday gathering, it's very easy to kind of say, it's all right, somebody else who typically says something will say something. And it's the same, uh, you know, when you 
gathering together as a smaller group. If there's 12 of you, you think, it's all right, there's 11 other people to contribute tonight. I can sit back and relax. Whereas if you turn up and there's four of you because you've just multiplied, it's a bit more like, I've probably got to say something here. Otherwise, it's going to be a very quiet time together. It also helps uh, because it develops leaders. It requires greater commitment. You know, when you multiply, there's less of you. And so if you don't turn up, that's a bigger deal. Um, we, We started a life group recently. We're relatively small. A couple of us don't turn up. And it was just two of us. <laughs> so your presence matters more when you multiply. It gives opportunity for people to step into leadership. And it requires some faith, doesn't it? Because it's a bit of risk involved. You don't know whether it's going to survive or not. So it requires a little bit of faith. But there's obviously a cost involved, isn't there? As a life group, you enjoy spending time together. When you multiply, you're essentially dividing. <laughs> and you don't get to see some friends that are really precious to you. you spent lots of time with over many years, building a great friendship with. Now, you still see them outside of life group course but you're not seeing them kind of regularly on a weekly basis like you perhaps did do in the past you have to give more you go from the buzz of slightly bigger gatherings where there's a lot of energy to smaller beginnings and there's some risk involved so that's the the why of house uh, of life groups i'm gonna i'm gonna do that all the time aren't i it's gonna take ages if i ever say house groups just shout life groups and correct me how do life groups happen well, there's a huge amount of flexibility beyond what I've just outlined. The basic essence is four to 12-ish people. When you get to 12, that's when you get the multiply twitch. And that's when you should come and speak to one of us and go, I think we need to multiply soon. But basically, if you as a group of friends on mission are doing this and this is happening, and it doesn't really matter the, the what, the when, the how, the how of it all, actually... That's, that's the main thing. And so there's huge flexibility in how you make that happen. And in different stages of life, for different groups of friends, uh, uh, different things are helpful. And so you establish your rhythm based on what's useful. So we started our life group recently, and we're all at that stage of life where we've got children. It's difficult for both couples to get out in the evening. So we have half of us meet in an evening and half of us meet during the day. That just makes it possible for all of us to kind of play a meaningful part in our group. So, um, usually you've got your own life group. It will have its own rhythm at day's time so they gather regularly. Um, when I was um, thinking about this uh, this week, I was reading in my uh, Times with God, Matthew 9.35, where it says that when he saw the crowds, Jesus had compassion on them. And why did he have compassion on them? Well, he saw that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That was Jesus' assessment, that people needed a shepherd. And, of course, he goes on to say, doesn't he, in John, that he's the good shepherd, that people, we, need his spiritual leadership in our lives. And then in the same passage, it says, then he said to his disciples, and he gives them instructions for mission. So Jesus sees people's needs, and his response is they need his shepherding in their life. Jesus has seen us in our harassed and helpless state, And he's had compassion on us, hasn't he? That's why we're here to worship him this morning. We're in a certain state. He loved us and he's interrupted our lives. He's had compassion on us and met our spiritual need for his leadership in our life. Perhaps you had a friend that came alongside you and led you to him. And then Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of his. Have my compassion for people in their need. Be a good friend to them. 
lead them towards my good spiritual leadership. Sometimes as church is kind of growing and developing, we can see the need and prioritize programs and structures, both within the church and in our outreach to the community. Perhaps within the church, you might think we need a specialized pastoral team to help in situations. Maybe outreach-wise, we think we need a social action project to meet a particular need. And those things are good, and it's good to have them develop at the right time. But they aren't primary, first and foremost, in the life of a church. What's primary, first and foremost, is our relationships with one another, our life together, our friendship with each other. And so, just as a heads up, it's tempting to think with the Hive that we'll run social action projects to meet people's needs, which was part of the prophetic word, wasn't it? That it would be like a storehouse that met people's needs in the community, and we we do want to do that. But the greatest need that people have is for Jesus' spiritual leadership in their life. And we've experienced the benefit of that ourselves if we're Christians here today. And the greatest love we can show people is friendship that leads them to Jesus, because that's people's greatest need. So what social action projects we end up happening at the Hive and the various events that go on there and so on will essentially be entry points and gateways for people to find friendship with us so that we can help lead them to their greatest need, which is Jesus and his spiritual leadership of their life. Because Jesus says, doesn't he, greater love has no one than this, and he lays down his life for his friends. The greatest kind of love we can offer people is being a friend to them and leading them to Jesus, the one who laid down his life for them. So it's good to ask the question, do you have space in your life and in your life group for friends? Because we live in a, like a culture that's like, wants to consume everything from you, doesn't it? To like max you out to the point where you haven't really got time or energy for anything else. So it's good to take time and reflect and think, have I got space in my life for other friends? Uh, have a, as people find their way into church life, that's important, isn't it? They need friends. They need close friends who are going to walk with them and do life with them. And so it's always good to ask the question, do we have space for that in our life? Because the need in society is huge. Um, I looked up this. It's a YouGov survey asked the question, how many people in your life would you class as close friends? I wonder what your answer to that would be. How many people in your life would you class as close friends? And by close friends, they mean people who you trust, who look out for you, and have your best interests at heart. And the stats were that 10% of people had no close friends whatsoever. That means that 1 in 10 people that you meet on the street or in, uh, in life, or acquaintances and so on, people you know, 1 in 10 of them don't have a close friend. And another 8% only have one close friend, which means that 1 in 5 people on the street is unlikely to have anything more than one close friend. And 1 in 10 won't have one at all. And as a church, we're not completely immune to that kind of issue in society, are we? That can be an issue in the church. You can be here on a Sunday morning, but not really feel like you've made any close friends, people who you are walking through life with. And statistics show a correlation between good, strong, healthy relationships and physical health. There's one study 
that shows that good, strong, healthy relationships mean you're ill less, you recover quicker, they extend your life expectancy by up to 20%, which apparently is the same as quitting smoking, better mental health, you report being happier, they cope with trauma better, they sleep better, and resist self-destructive habits. So science shows us what is really common sense, that as humans, we thrive in community. We need people around us. All of us need close friendships, just like the Apostle Paul has with the folks in Rome that we're going to look at in a second. So today we're going to start thinking about what develops a church culture of close friendships. And this passage in uh, Romans 16 that we're going to read um, gives us a window into what Paul's relationships with the people in Rome were like. He names 32 people in it, and he greets them by name. And the context for the letter, I mean, Romans is 16 chapters long. We just get to the end here. We're just going to read the end. But the context of the letter is clearly his friendship with the church. That's the context of it. He knows them personally. He cares deeply about them. And still in this chapter, it looks like when you read the letter sometimes, he's just kind of like ending the letter in the way that people would typically end letters in his culture and time. And uh, he is doing that, but he's still building the church at the end of this chapter. In the previous chapters to the one we're about to read, Paul's like, main emphasis has been trying to remove obstacles that have stopped people from jo- being joined together in good relationships and friendships. That's been his fo- focus. And this list is, itself is very diverse. It won't be obvious to us, but if you kind of get into the text and you understand the, the people he's naming, it's very diverse. You've got rich and poor, old and young, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, men and women. And he's joining people together in this letter ending. And so we're going to read it and then pull out some aspects of church culture that develop close friendships like Paul has with this church in Rome. So we'll read together. It's up on the screen if you've not got a Bible in front of you. It says this. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant, which is the noun for deacon, of the church in Cantrea, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many. She's been a help to many, usually a financial help, and of myself as well. Um, pray for me on the names here. There's a lot of them, and uh, I'm not fluent in Greek and Roman names. Uh, Greek Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponetus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Janiah, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ and my beloved Stachys, question mark there. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, 
chosen in the Lord, and also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet uh, Philologus, <coughs> uh, question mark, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, all the churches of Christ. Greet you. I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine you've been taught. Avoid them. Because he's talking about joining people together. For such persons don't serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, my kinsman. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. That's uh, the guy who's been writing it for Paul. And Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus, greet you. There you go. Got through the names. <laughs> uh, so, um, five things we're just going to pick up very briefly on um, aspects of we can see in this letter that will help us develop a church culture of close friendships amongst us. The first is they relate as family. Verse 1 calls sister, uh, Phoebe his sister. Verse 7 and 11, he talks about my kinsmen, i.e. my blood, these are like blood relatives to me. Verse 13, he says, Rufus's mum is like a mother to me. That's a dear relationship, isn't it? There's sometimes often nobody more important to you than your mum. A really significant relationship. Rufus's mum was like a mum to me while I was with you. Verse 14, the brothers who are with them. Verse 17, I appeal to you, brothers. Verse 23, our brother Cortus. This letter ending is full of this kind of family language. In fact, it's all the way through scripture, isn't it? If you think of every letter beginning and ending, it's full of this kind of family language. It's full of warmth, full of affection, full of gratitude. It oozes love. My beloved, I give thanks. I rejoice over you. These are the things that Paul says in his letters to the church family. Because the Bible's primary picture of the church is a loving family. So when you gather together as a life group, what does it feel like? Does it feel like a family setting? Or does it feel like a meeting? When you're small talking at the start of your time together, are you just kind of waiting for the real stuff to get going? Or does it feel like that's part of the purpose that you've got together? Um, Just reminded of uh, Mark 3. Let me flick there, so I quote it properly. Um, And it says about Jesus um, this, um, that he went home, and then he went home, and the crowd gathered again. So obviously he has a crowd in his home on a regular basis, so that they couldn't even eat. And then later on, his mum and his brothers come, and they're standing outside saying, like, you know, can you tell Jesus to come out here? They've got a bit of a correction to make. They're not really happy with some of the things that he's been doing. And Jesus, looking about at those who sat around him, said, Here are my mother and my brothers. 
And that, that was Jesus' idea of church. It was family. It was those who were gathered round together in his home, often eating together. And he says, these are my mother and my brothers, my sisters. These, this is my family. So remind yourself when you're on your way to life group gathering with people, that you're gathering together with family. And if you're hosting, think about what creates a family atmosphere. Um, what does it feel like when you walk into the home that you're all g- gathering together in? When you spend time together, does it have that family atmosphere feel to it? Do you make some of your times just wasting time together for the sake of it, just being family? Because relating as family is foundational to cultivating a church culture of close friendships. Uh, the second thing is this, friendship in the Lord. You see the warmth and the love in these friendships. They're not, these are not shallow, superficial acquaintances in, that Paul has with these folks in the church. And he's not even there all the time. He's, you know, he's got these deep, lasting friendships with people. Um, if you have a look in the passage, he says, um, Welcome, Phoebe, in the Lord. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. He says that Epinatus was the first convert to Christ. He talks about my uh, kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. That they're my beloved in the Lord. They're work, our fellow workers in Christ. Uh, verse 10, Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family, family of Narcissus. Um, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Paul has this repetitive kind of in the Lord, in Christ kind of language going on. Because foundational to our relationships to one another, for Paul, is this relationship in Christ. That's ultimately how Paul relates to these dear friends that he's writing to. He relates to them in the Lord, in Christ. There's that diversity of people. There's on the surface many differences, but at the core, they're all united together in Christ. And that's to say that our union in Jesus is absolutely foundational to our relationships with one another. Our relationship to Christ, being placed in Christ, is foundational to our relationships with one another. Because our union with Jesus as Christians is our primary identity, isn't it? That's the primary thing about us. If we were getting to know you, there would be lots of you that you could tell us about. But the very primary thing is you've been placed in Christ. You've been united with him. And when we trust in Jesus, we're placed in Christ. That means that the Father no longer relates to us in Adam, i.e. on our sin and our rebellion, rebellion, our kind of going our own way. But he relates to us as he's always related to his son, Jesus. The Father has had this eternal enjoyment of Jesus, his wide smile towards his son, his pleasure with his obedience and loyalty that's all now been attributed to us because we're placed in Christ. We've been wrapped up in him. And so all the things that are true of the way that the Father sees Jesus are true of us in Christ. We've been forgiven of our sin and given the righteousness of Jesus. And so as a result, we're at peace with God. We call him Father. We're part of his family. We belong to him. And so now it's on this basis that Paul relates to the church in Rome. And it's the way that we relate to one another in the Lord. 
Our union with Jesus is the basis of our friendship. Do I keep tapping it? Is that there? Sorry. Um, is this how you think of your relationships with one another in life group and even in life church? Because this is the kind of thing that helps us from not feeling part of the crowd. When you understand your own identity in Christ and the identity of others in church family as being in Christ, the primary and most important thing about all of our identities is the same. We all belong to Lord Jesus. We're in Christ. And Paul clearly made the building of these kinds of friendships in the Lord a priority and it's paid off for him. So when we intentionally build relationships with one another, close friendships, it pays off. So in our life groups, do we make space for building those kind of friendships in the Lord, eating together, praying together, spending time, helping one another out, um, sending a message and checking in with one another, um, doing things like that, sharing in the ups and the downs, living in the light of the truth of our, that the friendships you have here in the church family are in the Lord. Uh, third thing is work hard on a shared purpose. Uh, it took me a little bit of a while to spot this one, but have a look at verse 2. Phoebe is a patron and a help to many. Verse 6, Mary worked hard for you. Verse 9, Urbanus is a fellow worker. Verse 12, Persis, who worked hard in the Lord. Verse 23 mentions Gaius, from where he is, who's hosting the whole church. That sounds like a big job, doesn't it? It's a bit like if we were having these Sunday gatherings around somebody's house every time and so-and-so was hosting us, Hillary. Hillary's hosting us every Sunday. We're going to start, we're going to move, move the Sunday gatherings. I'd imagine that'd be quite hard work for Hillary. <laughs> yeah, we're not doing that. We've got the hive coming up, which is great. That, that sounds like a big job. People were working hard. Paul's writing to a church that works hard together, serves generously, gives themselves to one another and what they're doing. When we give ourselves deeply into something that we care about, our hearts are joined together as we work one, alongside one another in a common mission and aim. And it's tempting, isn't it, to kind of think, well, if you just pull back, um, look after yourself, don't be too driven, don't want to burn out. And there's there is some wisdom in all that because we have to take care of ourselves, don't we? But gospel mission as a church family is, is hard work. It is hard work. It can wring us dry whilst also joining us together. And sometimes hard work can undermine good relationships, can't they? How can we avoid that? Well, he says in verse 12 to per, about Persis, Persis worked hard in the Lord. What does he mean by that, worked hard in the Lord? I think it probably means this, that Persis did what Jesus asked of him with Jesus' help for Jesus' pleasure and glory. He did what Jesus asked of him with Jesus' help for Jesus' pleasure and glory. He wasn't doing what others had asked of him. He wasn't feeling the pressure that others were putting on him. He wasn't feeling burdened in the work he was doing. He wasn't people-pleasing or chasing money. He worked from the place of being a beloved child of God in the Lord, of being placed in Christ. He was not a driven slave. He was working hard in the family business of making disciples, resting secure in his position as a child of God. A life group can be hard work. Yeah? 
Because you can sometimes stand up and say, you know, life groups are fantastic. Get in them. And then you go, oh, actually, it was quite hard work. It, 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 will, it will be quite hard work. Especially if you take the risk of multiplying or you start a new house group, uh, life group. Sometimes it can be really difficult in the early days. You have some of those meetings where you're like, or gatherings where you're like, oh, we'll forget about that one. Move on. And uh, look, look to do it better next time. It can be really hard work making disciples. It involves giving yourself to one another, doesn't it? Encouraging each other. It means thinking of others and giving yourselves to them, which we're going to talk about next. And if we're doing that, then we need to do it from a place of resting in our place with Father God as a child of his, not driving ourselves into the ground. And that's what I'm going to talk about next week is serving and what that looks like in church life. Uh, Fourth is this, to invest in one another. It says, Phoebe was a patron and helped to many. Priscilla and Aquila risked their necks for Paul's life. Mary worked hard for you. Rufus's mother invested in Paul like a son. Paul's highlighting in this letter that this is a church that invests in one another. See, the more we think about ourselves, we think about our needs, our desires, um, what we need, um, focused on us, whilst there is a time for expressing those, our relationships can become impoverished. Because the focus is on us rather than on giving ourselves to others. And life groups are a great place to be thinking, how can I bless someone else? What do others in my life group need from me? How can I serve someone else? Do them good. How can I help them practically? Our house group has been... Re- uh, house group. Thank you. <laughs> Shout it out. Yeah. Um, our life group has been really uh, helpful with this, we, um, we had to inst- install a new heating system and we went for a log burner because that's the obvious way to heat your house in the country because you get to smash wood apart, which for an energetic six-year-old boy was the thing to do. So we got a log burner. And we needed a hearth. And of course, it needs to be pamants that look aged because that's the thing, isn't it? And uh, our friends, Johnny and Tash, just had some at the back of the garden. Hey, you can have ours. And boom, we've got this hearth. Really, really helpful to us because pamants are amazingly expensive, especially if they're aged. And that was a real help to us. The other day, I was ripping a tree stump out of the wall in our back garden. Um, we've got a, on one of those brick walls, but there's a stump growing out of it, and I've, we've tried like killing it and things like that. It's just not happening. And I just went for it and ripped it out, and out came half the wall. <laughs> Dan, who's a brick, he said, "If you need help with that, which he knows I will, um, I'll help you." With that, our rabbits died recently. Tash came over to help us with that. Um, well, I needed firewood. Dan was doing his garden recently. Hey, James, do you want this firewood that I've got? I was doing Youth Alpha at New Day. Sarah and Steve Bennett really helped me massively with putting together the stuff for that. They've hosted us for barbecues together as a um, life group, and we've been able to invite friends around because they've got a massive garden that they have used to for us to do that. These are the kinds of things that make relationships and friendships and life group meaningful. Investing in others, thinking about how you can serve and bless them. That's foundational to building close relationships. And the last one, really briefly, is this. Speak well of each other. 
Paul spends most of his time in this letter, it seems, bigging other people up, doesn't he? He says, I commend to you Phoebe. It seems that she's the one who's brought the letter to the church in Rome. And he knows that Phoebe's going to be there probably when the letter is read out. And she's going to hear his commendation of her. Priscilla and Quilla have risked their lives for me. Mary has worked hard. Apelles is approved. Persis worked hard. He's bigging up his friends to the rest of the church. He's commending them, affirming them, celebrating them, rejoicing in them, singing their praises. He wants to encourage people so that when the letter is read out, these people are built up. They're encouraged. They're strengthened um, in what they're doing. He's not gossiping, undermining others. He's not accusing others or criticizing others or undermining his relationships with others. We've got an accuser and an enemy who's already doing those things all of the time. But he's focusing on building others up. So it's really important when we're gathered together as life groups, are we speaking not just of those who are present, but of those who aren't present in a way which builds up and encourages Would they feel encouraged and honoured if they were present with us? If you don't speak well of others in life group, honestly, it will make it hard for other people in the group to trust you with the things they would normally have shared in the group. Because if they hear you speaking bad of other people in your life, in the church, who aren't in the room, they'll wonder what you might say about them when you're in another context. So speaking well of others is really important for cultivating a church culture where close friendships thrive. So perhaps um, over the course of the next uh, month or so, take some time as a life group. One of um, the things that we do, which is good to do, is just ask the question, how's life group going for everyone? And just give time for people to talk. Talk about how your friendships are going. Does it feel like family? Are you learning to be like Jesus? Do you feel like you're growing in character and in the life that you're living? Do you feel like you're being encouraged in the difficult thing of witnessing to others? And talk about how you can develop a culture of close friendships in your group. Now, perhaps you're new, just settling into church family. If you're feeling like you're going to settle here and make um, Life Church home, then we'd really encourage you to just go along with someone. So if, you're, if you'd like to go along, just ask somebody you've met on a Sunday and say, hey, could I come along with you, one life group, perhaps at a time when they're just socialising together so you get a chance to just meet people or if they're going out, you could uh, meet over a cup or um, a drink or whatever it might be. So you get time just to build friendships um, with others. Or you could ask uh, me or Rod and we'd happily help connect you uh, with a group. Uh, Does the band want to come up? We're going to um, worship in a, in a moment. But I thought before we um, finish, one of the things we're going to pray for uh, next week, not this next coming week, but the week after in our week of prayer and fasting, is our life groups. Um, re- recently, Carol uh, Sanders' group um, uh, stopped, and so those folks who are in that group are looking for other groups to be a part of. Um, Stuart and Gordon, uh, Stuart and Helen Gordon and uh, Jim and Margaret Girdwood done a fantastically faithful job of leading um, house groups for years, have stepped back recently. And so those groups are going through transition and change at the moment, so it'd be good to pray for them. Uh, Rod and Heathers and Chris and Emma's, um, Rachel and Julian and Bruce and Elaine's groups have just started getting going after multiplying. So be praying for them 
their groups would thrive and grow and they'd enjoy life together. Is that all right? Should we do that now, just before we worship? Why don't we all stand and we'll um, uh, pray together before uh, singing uh, in response.